Native Search Solutions is a new and innovative organization that focuses on missing and murdered indigenous person cases by using new and existing technologies to enhance law enforcement's ability to come to a resolution on cases related to missing and murdered indigenous persons. If you're looking for an indigenous loved one, contact us at nativesearchsolutions.org. You're listening to FPI Unsolved. In this episode, we're speaking with Mark Pooley of Native Search Solutions who helps families of missing and murdered indigenous persons who have been the source of violence in America since as late as 1750. A terrible truth and other disturbing facts FPI Unsolved is investigating. Here's your host, managing investigator and broadcast producer, Regina Romaine. Okay, we're going to get right into it. Native American people are killed in police encounters more than any other ethnic group. Mark, he helps families of missing and murdered indigenous people. Yeah, thank you, Regina. I'm very proud that you're working with um, Native Americans with what, you know, with what they're going through. Um, because they're not, it's not talked about, to me, it's not talked about enough in the media. It's, you know, with what's going on with Native Americans, especially, you know, with the crimes. Yeah. There's been talk and rumors about Disneyland may be on one of the Indian reservations. Okay. okay. Because you see a lot of things at Disneyland with the Native Americans, you know, with the tribes and the, the village and things like that. It's kind of a way like it's a cover up with the Native American attractions. They're just trying to say. But I think it's like a cover up to just kind of push you put off people because they're on a reservation. Um, I do want to say that a, a lot of people, they are very curious and, and want to know about uh, Native Americans in general. Um, and right. that's just, you know, part of American history. Uh, and there's some, right. there's some beautiful parts of it, but there's also some very uh, horrible and tragic things that have happened uh, among the Native American community. You know, we talk about um, historical trauma. Um, that's a real reason of, of a lot of violence, uh, a lot of neglect, a lot of just harm. In, on our reservations, on and off the reservation. You know, what Native Americans have been the source of violence in America since 1750. That's correct. The trauma that has, has dated back uh, for uh, many centuries ago. And so... Um, right. I've always been curious, not just because it may be a part of my heritage. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just because of the things that happened. Um, I don't know what uh, tribe part of my family was from, I found like dirty Indian jewelry in my, like it was like dug up like from dirt in my bedroom when I was a child. I didn't know where it came mm-hmm. from. You know, it was on the floor in my bedroom as a child. I knew it was Indian jewelry because my mother, when she saw it and she wears, you know, that type of jewelry and, you know, it was like the turquoise mm-hmm. stuff. Mm-hmm. And you just knew it was Indian jewelry because it looked so different. Yeah. And she was saying, Regina, where'd you get this? I said, it was just on the floor. You know, because she thought I was digging somewhere. I say it was just on the floor. I didn't know where it came mm-hmm. from. You know, it was on the floor. I'm just saying that to say uh, that was an early history of me learning about Native Americans because of me. Yeah. And all this land, the United States was established on stolen Native American land. It was not our land. I ain't going to say ours, America. It was not their land. That was the Indians. Okay. You know, it's just like 1.5 billion acres, you know, of Native land taken. And it's just like they people know the tragedy and the horrors and things like that that happened to the Native Americans. But, yeah, we kind of like bypass it like it never happened. Yeah, no, that's true. That's true. And that's why I'm so curious of what you're doing. And I applaud. Like I say, I double applaud what you're Thank doing. Thank you. Uh, I'm Native American, Navajo and Hopi. Uh, I'm retired law enforcement uh, from here in Arizona. 
And uh, what we do is is uh, um, is we use technology such as uh, uh, facial recognition and big data technology and, right. and locating our, our missing people. Um, it's basically a resource to help law enforcement, but also families uh, that have missing uh, family members to to be part of the, their investigation. I had a woman reach out to me and, and she said, Mr. Pui, can you help look for my sister who's been missing for 29 years? And again, I was brand new starting this organization. I said, uh, yeah, we can, but that's been a long time. And she says, um, she goes, but, but, but can you put it in your database? And I said, absolutely. And as I did, I says, um, I said, I don't want to give you uh, any false hope because what we're doing here is, is, is new. Um, we're, we're using technology mm-hmm. to see if we could find missing people. And she said, Mr. Pooley, you're not giving me a false hope. You're giving me a new hope. You're going to be the first person in 29 years that's going to be looking for my sister. And that was a lot of pressure. I said, wow. But it also gave me mm-hmm. a lot of courage. Saying, you know what? Let's do this. Uh, don't be scared of th- if this works or it doesn't work. Well, when I was asking her more questions, I, I said, what? what happened? And I go, did you report this to law enforcement? And she said, we tried to 29 years ago, my, my parents reached out to law enforcement and the officer that showed up said, um, to my parents, they said, we're not going to put my sister into the database because your, your, your daughter and your sister is a drug addict and a prostitute. And when I heard that, I couldn't believe it. I said, are you serious? They actually said that she said, yeah. And so she, the, her sister was never put into NCIC. Her parents are both deceased, uh, not knowing to whatever happened to her sister. Now, we put our sister in our database. Um, we got some hits, but they were false positives. They weren't her. But I did a, a little bit of more researching and networking with, with different departments and come to find out that her sister actually passed away 27 years ago. Um, and she did die of wow. a drug overdose. Um, but the detective that came and did that investigation never notified next of kin. So for, for 29 years, the family never knew what happened. And so once I found that out, I, I had to give the sister, uh, I contacted her in person and she knew why we wanted to meet in person. And, um, I had to give a, a death notification, uh, and I've given many death notifications, but I thought I was done with that after retiring from law enforcement. Um, and we, it was a uh, bittersweet. We laughed and cried. And, and in the end, the sister said, thank you, Mr. Pooley for, for finding my sister and letting us know what happened to her. And now we're in the process of finding to finding where she's buried so we could have her body, uh, exhumed and, and sent back to be buried by her parents on the reservation. So I, 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 right. get, I, I tell that story to, to show the tragedy of the lack of, caring, empathy, whatever you want to call it on law enforcement's part. Um, now, when I talked to the agency that, that gave me this information, they were also disappointed and appalled by what was said. And they, and they assured me, said, Mr. Pooley, that's not how we do it. And I said, I know this was 29 years ago. Uh, the culture has changed. Um, I believe that our officers today are, are doing the very best with what they have. And I believe that they have their the, the best interests of the family in mind when they do these investigations. In her case, uh, that was one of the cases for me. Um, 
of why I got into this work is for to help families just just like this this young lady's family. Right. You know, and it's with the families and just like with FBI justice, this is the problem. You know, we're wanting to help the families too. You know, we're on the same page, yeah. you know, Mark. And the stories that we hear, you know, that does take some empathy and everything is a challenge because these are stories, these families are wanting help. And then sometimes they don't really know how to go about it or where to find it. They have to tell their story and you have to listen to them and you have to go out. Correct. You know, and, you know, and look and investigate, like you said, investigate. Yeah. And, and you know, going off that, the reason why a, a case goes cold is it, it stopped being worked. That's pretty much it. Exactly. And it's not, it's being, not being, worked. being worked. And so the thing is, is if, if you see a lot of these high profile missing person cases. And if a department really wants to find the person, they throw all these resources into it and they find them. Um, and, you know, right. a lot of it has usually a sad outcome, but they at least find them. One of the things that right. I'm, I'm realizing with with our families is they just want to tell their story um, and they exactly. need to be given that platform. I think, you know, you you and I, we've talked offline about sort of what your podcast is all about and and giving those families that platform. I think that's great because, um, you know, they, they want the word to get out to for other people, the exactly. public to know. Mm-hmm that their their loved one the public needs to hear their you story you need to hear the story your public needs to hear their story exactly you have to take the time to help help a family or to get to the point of what's going on and as i said before and i always say this on my podcast mark you know everything is always in plain sight yeah because mostly of the mostly you know cases they do fall through the cracks yeah the, the, with the police departments and things they're backed up yeah you know they're they're like trying to help with things and then they maybe have another murder or killer or something or a serial killer doing something, you know, then they got to go work on that. And then like, I always say these cases can be solved. And the reason that they're not solved is because, you know, the person, you know, that's uh, responsible, you know, they have something to hide. And that can be anybody connected to the case on the case or whatever. Um, so okay. in Indian country, um, we have, uh, there's a movement that actually started up in Canada um, probably well over uh, a decade ago, and it's called uh, Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women. Um, and, mm-hmm. you know, that, that advocacy, that awareness has spread from Canada all the way down in, up into Alaska and down into uh, the United States. And it's continually getting bigger and stronger. And, uh, and I, I, they have all these different acronyms. I say MMIP, which stands for Missing and Murdered, Murdered Indigenous People. And I and I use that, right. you know, to be more inclusive, to include everyone um, right now on my caseload. I have I would say about 40 percent of the people I'm looking for are male uh, and 60 percent are, are female. Sort of uh, a little bit about the foundation of that. What got me into this work is the MMIP movement in Indian country. Um, and really, I, I, I tell people that, you know, we're not an advocacy group. We're not an education prevention. By default, we have become one. But our main thing, our main focus is to have uh, have a way to help be a resource in the actual investigations of, of our missing people. Uh, and that's by using technology and um, other resources uh, in an investigation. No, that's great. I'm glad you're speaking on that because this is what people need to hear, you know, and how and how you're helping. Uh-huh. You know, and I when I first heard of your organization, I was like, uh, excited about it because you're using uh, technology to actually, you know, help find 
uh, these missing missing people? My knowledge and experience comes from law enforcement. Um, I, right. I've worked all different kind of assignments, and I've worked homicide missing person cases uh, in, as a detective, and so I know what needs to be done. Um, and one thing I realized in any investigation, a large investigation, you have to have two things. Number one is you have to have resources. And number two is you have to have technology. If you don't have those two, those two things, resources and technologies, you're going to have a hard time in solving your, your investigation. Uh, and that's just the, mm -hmm. the truth of it. Um, and that's sort of the, the hardship because a lot of our native communities, law enforcement, uh, they don't have a lot of resources and the technology is, is very uh, sparse. Uh, they don't have it. Um, and so one of the things I, I tell people is um, our technology that we use, it's a database called Emotive EI. And what this database was actually is given to us as an in-kind donation from a company called Biometrica. And uh, okay. it's their technology of facial recognition and big data. The big data that where they where they get their images from are actually all public record of booking photos throughout the United States. What I do is is how we use this technology as as a resource is we reach out or the families are now reaching out to us, these native families and also non-native. It is for anyone that has a missing person. And right. I, I talk with them on either in person or on Zoom and um, tell them sort of what I what I do here at Native Search Solutions. And they give me written consent um, to put their loved one's uh, image into our database. So we, after they do this, they give us four to six photographs and we put it into our database and it, and it continually searches against booking photos of people that have been arrested in the United States. From what I, since I've been doing this, I've realized there's five reasons why people go missing. The number one reason why people go missing is because of addiction. Uh, either to drugs and alcohol. Number two is because of domestic violence. Number three is endangered runaways. The child is either running away or running to something. Number four is trafficking. And that could be um, not just uh, sex trafficking, but also could be labor. And number right. five has to do with uh, mental illness. Um, either someone could have dementia, Alzheimer's, they could have be autistic or they could just having a, a mental uh, uh, breakdown or episode and, and they go wandering. Uh, they get disoriented and either the elements, the heat or the cold will take them. And so those are the five reasons that I've found of why people go missing. And when you're in that type right. of lifestyle, uh, you're put into environments with, that are very scary, very harmful to the individual. And but also with that is they're also contacted by law enforcement. When someone goes missing, they're usually put in um, by the, the family. They, they call and say, hey, my loved one's missing. They call the police, and the police enter them into a system called uh, the National Criminal Information Center, which the acronym is NCIC. Uh, with that, um, they're put into a database where if that individual is contacted by any law enforcement officer and they run them, their name and date of birth, uh, they'll get a hit and they'll, the officer will be able to tell that person, hey, do you realize that you're a missing person? They'll see and check on their welfare. And, and that's how a lot of our cases are, are solved is through NCIC. Um, the only problem with NCIC, it's, it's um, has, I don't want to call them flaws, but they have some areas where if the person does not give their full name or the name is spelled incorrectly 
or the date of birth is not given or is given incorrectly, that record will come back as no, no record. And so to help combat that to where there is no errors is, is if the person is put into um, our database, Emotive EI, then what happens is, is even if they give a, a false name or a different name, the facial recognition will pick them up and we'll get a notification. And from there, we'll uh, work with law enforcement to see how they could um, get help for that person that, that's reported missing um, and to be taken out of that, that database. Um, and so that's sort of what how we use our technology. No, that's great. You know, and I'm listening to you, uh, Mark, you know, to solve these crimes or these murders and things like that. There are certain ethnicities that are hit harder than others. You know, we want to help everyone, but we're speaking today because there are certain, you know, like I said, certain ethnicities that are hit harder or, you know, just kind of like we don't want to wash them or push them under the rug. You know, they need help, too. We all need help, but we just want to point out, you know, certain things are going on with certain ethnicities. Now, a lot of it has to do with miscommunication. Um, and sometimes a, a, a lack of em empathy on, on the law enforcement officer's um, um, part. Um, but again, I know each case is individual and, and we can't group them all in, in one, one thing. But what, exactly. one of the things that I, I have realized is um, two of the families that have had a positive experience, when I work with them, I basically, I, I tell them, I said, you need a pen and paper and I'm going to tell you exactly what you need to say to the officers. Um, to help give them a good understanding, a picture of where they're coming from, meaning, hey, there's something wrong with, with my daughter or son. Uh, yes, they have addiction, but they're missing, and they have gotten out of their normal routine, and one of the routines is they're, they're not contacting us anymore. They know, and it's the weirdest thing, is the families, especially the mothers, they know something is wrong. They're like, man, there's just something that's just not right with my child or, or a family member. And they know that I, we need to reach out to law enforcement and they do. The thing is they just don't know how to approach it. And a lot of times, you know, people have been given misinformation saying there's a waiting period of 48 hours, 72 hours, 24 hours, whatever there is. Let me tell you, there is no waiting, waiting period. If there's any kind of inclination exactly. that there now, one of the things I, I've realized as I've talked to these families, some of them haven't reported their family members for several days and and even several weeks, and and they told me they said, Mr. Poole, we just don't even know where to start. And um, and, and as I walked through with them of of the way they talk to law enforcement, they're given more uh, courage to actually do it, and. That's where I, I believe that there's sort of a, a, a disconnect of, uh, or lack of communication where a lot of our families, they don't know how to communicate with, with, with the law enforcement. And that's where I, I sort of call upon law enforcement is, is when, we, when you get called to these type of calls, you need to, be, you need to listen uh, and not have any prejudgment of, of what you think had happened or what led up to this. Uh, that will come through the investigation, um, but a lot of it is you have to be, uh, you have to listen, and you have to show empathy to the family. When I when I say this, it's hard for sometimes our officers because we're not social workers; we're we're police officers. We're there to keep the peace right. and to help uh, solve the crimes. Right. But a lot of it for us to give be given a good um, to be given information is the families have to be. 
uh, feel safe and also welcome to to give information. Um, and it, you know, when I talk to some of these families, they tell me information, I, and I said, you know, that's a lot. I go, did you let law enforcement know this? They said, no, they they weren't listening, or no, I I just thought of it right now as you're talking to me. Um, and so that's sort of where I call upon my own brothers and sisters in blue is is um, we need to listen and we need to not have any kind of prejudgment or uh, bias of what happened or what didn't happen. Right. You know, Mark, I'm so glad that you said that as a, a law enforcement officer, you know, and working with law enforcement and understanding that, you know, specifically what you said at first, yeah. you know, there's no waiting period. There's not. You know, if someone called, someone is called in missing, you know, there's no waiting period. I know different states probably have different things and what people say. And then it's lack of knowledge and people that don't know, because just like with the media and everything, you're hearing and thinking that's what that is. But that's not true. Correct. That's good that you said that, like, when people are go missing, we don't have to take or officers. We don't have to, uh, officers don't have to take 24 hours before they start. And, and that's correct. And, and a lot of those things is is I I, I put it back on law enforcement where um we're investigators, and so we need to investigate. Mm-hmm. We have to ask the right questions. Right. And as you mm-hmm. ask a question, wait and listen for an answer. Don't have a preconceived idea of what they're going to say. And even if they say what mm-hmm. you think they're going to say, still listen and ask follow-up questions. Right. I Hey, Mark, thank you. I double applaud you and what you're doing because, like, it's needed. Thank you. You know, this this is something that's needed. And to, like, like I said, too, what we just spoke about, um, this information needs to be told and the stories need to be told from the family. Yes. So you can view our investigation, go to our TikTok page, FPI justice. You can see the footage of what we're speaking about there. You know, Mark, what we do is, you know, this is a podcast, but we uh, can show you visually of what we're talking about, what we're covering on our, on our uh, TikTok page. We will eventually have a series, but that's where we have some of the footage now. Nice. Um, so, Regina, mm-hmm. thank you for letting me have this platform to to share uh, about my organization, Native Search Solutions. And I really appreciate uh, people listening. Um, our Native people, we make up barely 1% of the U.S. population. And so we're a very small minority group that a lot of times gets marginalized um, in many different ways and aspects. Um, but at the same time, I, I really uh, look forward to the, the listener to, to research and look into the missing and murdered indigenous people movement to learn more what's going on in your own community. Um, and, and if you have interest in our native people, uh, get involved because uh, we are missing. And a lot of times when we are found, we're, there's signs of found play of, of actually a homicide. And uh, so uh, just be more aware. I know there's starting to be movies and television shows that, that talk about this MMIP movement. Um, just be more aware of it. And, and I'm hoping it's part of the conversation and, and I'm, I'm grateful for this opportunity, uh, to, to share on what we do and, and, um, that's pretty much it, but thank you. All right. Thanks, Mark. I was going to say after that, amen, amen. <laughs> okay. I would, I would like to thank the audience for listening and my guest, Mark Pooley. This is an ongoing investigation. So check back with us for the next episode. See you next time. Funded mainly through advertisement and donations, FPI Unsolved is an independent production of FPI Justice for Victims Families, a 501c3 nonprofit. FPI Unsolved is hosted, directed, and executive produced by Regina Romaine. Follow FPI Unsolved on Apple Podcast, 
Amazon Music, Spotify, and all other podcast platforms. Our website can be found at fpijustice.org. To find us on Facebook and TikTok, search FPI and FPI Justice.